You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Hey, hey, this is Jess O'Reilly. And today I'm going to be talking about a topic that could be upsetting to some people. We're going to be talking about some violence and death of someone in my community. I'll be reading some of the details of a recent death. So if you don't feel comfortable hearing about intimate partner violence and ultimately death, please stop this podcast now. This may not be for you. Last weekend, Dr. Amy Harwick, a marriage and family therapist who focused on relationships and sex, was killed. She was killed in her home and was found below a third floor balcony with evidence of strangulation, according to news reports. And her ex has been charged with murder. I knew Amy and have been reading the reports. And according to court documents from 2011 and 2012, this same ex who has been charged in her murder choked, suffocated, pushed, kicked, slammed her head into the ground and refused to get help for his behavior. He pushed her out of a car. He broke into her housing complex. He smashed picture frames against her door. He left flowers dozens of flowers taped to her door. He left a note warning that things would get worse. And these docs are from almost 10 years ago. And a restraining order was put in place against him. And this restraining order expired two weeks before she died. And I don't know why restraining orders expire. I'm not an expert in legal protections against violent partners and exes. Uh, of course, my intuition is that they shouldn't expire. Uh, there is now a, pe- a petition on change.org called Justice for Amy. And the creator, a friend of Amy's, suggests that we need to make some changes to protect those dealing with a violent or abusive partner. And I'll read you some of the changes that are suggested. Uh, first and foremost, they suggest no expiration date or a longer protection term for restraining orders and that they shouldn't be lifted until victims request it to be canceled. She also suggests mandatory long-term counseling for the person who is stalking or abusing and if they're deemed a harm to the victim or society then institutionalization may be ordered. Another suggestion is that victims should not have to testify in a courtroom close to or in front of their abuser or stalker. There should be the option to live stream in a safe space, in a satellite location for the hearing with the judge. Uh, It's a traumatic, she writes that it's a traumatic experience that the victim is already dealing with and should not be subjected to again if they do not feel they can. And this is why many abusers get away with their actions. Many victims back out of trial due to fear of facing their perpetrator. Now, Amy, uh, she ran into this ex, the same ex who has been charged in her murder. She ran into him at an industry event. Uh, she was actually with a, a mutual friend. And according to another friend who is quoted across several news outlets, this ex, this man went ballistic. He was abusive. He was threatening. Amy told her that she was scared. And she said she was scared he would show up 
at her home. Amy went to the police, but they didn't take it seriously. And this friend describes this guy as obsessive and controlling. Now, you may have read headlines about Amy's death or seen photos of her with the celebrity comedian Drew Carey because they also used to date. And I want to read a message that was published in a number of pieces from a close mutual friend of ours, Dr. Hernando Chavez, that I think sums up what I'm thinking because I think it says it better than I will right now. In reference to Amy, Hernando says, she did everything she could to protect herself and this person still sought her out and was violent toward her. This is what I hope people are going to see. Not the sensationalism sensationalism of her dating Drew Carey or the fact that she was a Hollywood sex therapist, but that our system is not protecting women. Now, Hernando messaged me to tell me about Amy's death. He didn't want me to read about it on TMZ. Uh, Unfortunately, other people had already texted me the articles a couple of days ago, the morning after she was killed. And since then, I've, I've been feeling really anxious since I read this news. I'm, I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm sad, obviously, for Amy and her family and her loved ones who were closer to her than I was. But I'm also sad that in a world where we take so many precautions to protect the public, we still aren't doing what it takes to protect those at risk of violence from their partners. And Amy and I had a lot in common. In fact, we were supposed to meet on Tuesday in Hollywood. She she was supposed to be on my podcast. She was really, really smart. I interviewed her on this podcast a few years ago, and she actually helped me to work through and manage some of my people-pleasing tendencies on air, which is a tough thing for someone in the public eye to want to be a people pleaser because I'm setting myself up for failure. And I remember when I interviewed Amy uh, being in Kelowna, BC, so the west coast of Canada. And I remember when we recorded, I recall being really struck by how insightful she was, how smart, uh, how articulate. And yeah, just her insights personally and professionally were really helpful to me. Uh, Amy and I shared a bunch in common. She wrote The New Sex Bible for Women, which was the companion book to my last book, The New Sex Bible. Uh, She was a therapist, a very talented therapist to whom I referred friends and clients when it was a good fit, when there was no conflict, and, you know, they raved about how much she helped them. I know right now the therapist and sex educator community are, are struggling with her death. I know her clients, of course, are struggling too. And me personally, I just, I can't get it out of my mind. I've woken up in the night thinking about it since I heard the news every night. I I don't know if it's the gruesomeness of it. I read, I've read so many reports, I don't know how to keep it all straight, but I read that he broke into her home and was lying in wait. So I find myself feeling, even at this moment, a little shaky. Uh, I feel afraid, sort of in an irrational way. And I'm angry. I'm really pissed that the law and, you know, our society doesn't do more to protect people and women in particular against this type of violence because we know that the data says that women are far more likely to be killed by an intimate acquaintance or a spouse than by a stranger. And so that makes the most dangerous place in terms of threat of murder 
the home for women. And so today I want to talk about ways to support those who are in abusive relationships. I've been thinking about it since Amy's death and reading about it. And so I thought what I'd do today is share some specific strategies that you, that we can all use to support, love, and and help those who may be dealing with an abusive partner. And before I go on, I want to be very clear that I'm talking about this because, honestly, because I feel shaken. I feel personally affected. Uh, this is just weighing heavily on my mind and on the mind and hearts of so many folks that I know and that I love and that I work with in this field. And, you know, it sucks. I'm, I'm processing. We're all processing. I'm not going to talk about all of my complicated feelings here and now, but I do want to talk about ways we can support those who might be dealing with an abusive partner. And uh, before I get started, I want to, you know, reiterate, I'm not using Amy's death as, as an opportunity to seek profit. Um, I won't be taking sponsorship money for this episode. Instead, uh, I'm making a donation to rock2recovery.org. This is a charity that uh, Amy supported, and it apparently it brings the healing power of music to people in treatment for addiction, trauma, and mental health concerns. And I remember that Amy was always at their fundraisers and parties. And my hope is that somebody will use some of the suggestions I'm about to share to find support or to support a loved one. And to be very, very clear, as my friend Hernando said, Amy did everything right. This is not on her. This is not on her friends or loved ones. This was an ex from around a decade ago, as I understand it. She had a restraining order. She had security at her house. She had a roommate and friends who were aware of the situation. And I want to underscore that as I'm about to share strategies for supporting a friend or a loved one who is in an abusive relationship. I'm not specifically relating this to Amy or her or her friends and suggesting that that they weren't supportive. That's not what I'm saying. I'm choosing to talk about this now because I'm mad, I'm sad, I'm anxious. So yeah, I just really want to reiterate I'm not suggesting that Amy's friends or loved ones didn't do these things. I'm not suggesting that what I'm going to talk about specifically relates to Amy. I'm not suggesting that anyone other than the perpetrator and a system that continues to allow intimate partner violence to exist and flourish at alarming rates, that is what's to blame, who and what. Uh, it's not about anybody else, and I'm, I'm choosing to talk about this now just because I'm upset and I don't really want to talk about anything else. So I've been doing some reading about intimate partner violence and looking at definitions and the World Health Organization defines intimate partner violence as any behavior within an intimate relationship that causes physical, psychological, or sexual harm to those in the relationship. This could include acts of physical violence, like slapping, hitting, kicking, and beating. It could involve sexual violence, including forced sexual acts or intercourse, any form of sexual coercion, uh, emotional or psychological abuse, like insults, belittling, constant humiliation, intimidation, destroying things, threats of harm, threats to take away children. It could involve controlling behaviors, including isolating a person from family and friends, monitoring their movements, 
restricting access to financial resources, employment, education, or medical care, and intimate partner violence can include physical violence, sexual coercion, emotional abuse, controlling behavior, and each of these factors has been shown to adversely affect the abused partner's mental and physical health in a manner that persists long after the violence stops. Uh, It is primarily perpetrated by men against women, and it's tied to negative outcomes for the couple's children if they have children, including anxiety, depression, poor academic performance, and adverse healthy consequences. So this comes from the World Health Organization. And so I want to talk about what you can do if you observe that someone you care about is in an abusive relationship in any of these ways. And so share some of the guidelines that I've garnered from the people I've worked with in my research so that you can offer effective and caring support. So I've kind of just put these into steps. Number one is that you need to set up a time to talk. And if possible, you want to find a private time and a place so you won't be interrupted. And if this isn't possible because the monitoring behavior of the abusive partner inhibits this, get creative. Consider slipping away to the bathroom or another private space and being mindful that an abusive partner is often watching closely and you don't want to do anything to further incite them. Be aware of if you text or message someone, is this abusive partner potentially reading their messages? And once you've found this time to talk, you want to be straightforward and supportive. So you might want to say something as simple as what you've noticed. So you might say, I've noticed that you seem afraid or nervous when they're here, or I notice that they try and limit what you say, or I've noticed that they don't seem to want you to connect with your friends and family without supervision, or I've noticed the bruises on your arms and I'm concerned. So if you can use the language of I've noticed, make your observation, and I'm concerned, followed by what can I do for help? What can I do to help? So I've noticed this. I'm concerned about it. What can I do to help you? And you want to always offer reassurance that you're going to keep your conversations private because, sadly, shame still exists for the victim. Victim blaming is persistent. I've seen it in the comments online, directed at Amy, which is heartbreaking for her, for her family. Uh, we saw a comedian. I think her name is, I don't even know if I can call her a comedian, a talk show host who isn't funny at all, Wendy Williams, make a joke about Amy's death because she used to date also uh, the Price is, Rice host, Price is Right host, Drew Carey. Sorry, I'm a little shaky today. I'm not um, hitting all my words, I think, the way maybe I normally do, <laughs> or maybe I'm always like this. Uh, and so there's, you know, there's no humor in this, and because there's shame for the victims, you want to really remind this person that you're not going to tell anyone and ask them what they need in order to feel safe. So say what you've noticed, let them know you're concerned, ask what you can do to help, assure them that you'll keep this private, and really ask them what they need at this moment in time to feel safe. And when it comes to offering help, Be really specific about what help you can offer. Can you help with housing, with childcare, with transportation, with logistics? Can you help financially? 
Be really specific about what you can and can't do so that they can make a plan that works for them. If they ask you to do something that you can't do, be honest and help them to find another source of support. Maybe it's another friend, a family member, a local agency who's able to assist. Don't tell them you can do something that you can't do. And a reminder to reserve judgment. Uh, Whether they decide to leave their partner or remain in the relationship, keep offering support. Don't give up. Reach out regularly. Continue to ask if you can be assistance without judgment. And when you offer support, Please offer that support unconditionally. I think this might be the most important piece. Do not place conditions upon your offer of support. For example, if you can give them money, don't say you'll only give them money if they promise to leave this person within a set period of time. You may think you're helping, but being supportive means allowing them to generate a plan that works specifically for them, not for you, because they are the experts in the situation. You are not. And... To force yourself to have this conversation, you may need to let your concerns about rejection and your personal discomfort take a back seat to your concerns for their safety because oftentimes with intimate partner abuse, it's ignored as a private problem and friends and families and other potential sources of support avoid these important conversations out of fear of interfering in so-called private matters, but these fears facilitate abuse in the domestic sphere, and they further intensify the isolation in which abuse festers. So if you're concerned, speak up. Your discomfort pales in comparison to their fear of having to manage and shoulder this abuse in isolation. And before you go to them, please be prepared. Call connect, do your research with resources in your community in advance. Call the hotlines, ask the questions, contact housing support resources, reach out to potential allies in advance so that you can provide accurate and updated information. You want to begin with the resources so that they Have them in hand if they're able to take them with them. You know, these people might not even be able to search on their computer. Your friends might be limited in what they can access if their partner is monitoring and controlling their behavior. So do your research. Come uh, equipped with resources in hand. Uh, Maybe they can't take them, but maybe they can memorize a number. Or maybe they can write it down kind of in a hidden place. And when they talk to you, when they respond, listen and believe what they tell you. Listen, you might have a dozen solutions in mind. It might seem like a clear path to safety for you, but your first job is to listen and trust that the information they provide you with is accurate because they are the ultimate experts in their own experience. Support them in cultivating whatever skills they feel are required to cope or to leave. So you're going to have to be patient and don't expect them to embrace your idea of the appropriate solution or action. You might see a clear path, but it might not be as clear given their own financial or familial or just personal situation. And when they share with you, make sure you have the language to validate their feelings and offer support to counteract victim blaming. Remind them that they're not responsible for their partner's abuse because abusers are really skilled at manipulation and reinforcing this kind of victim-blaming rhetoric. 
So if you're given the opportunity to dismantle these beliefs, do it in a caring way. You might simply say, you know, it's not your fault. You're absolutely not to blame. Uh, Do not reinforce victim blaming by shaming or judging them for staying in the relationship because not everyone has the tools, the skills, the supports to leave at any moment in time. Um, People living in abuse live in fear. And, you know, we have evidence, data, but also just firsthand with what's going on in our community that you can live in fear for years to come. And the law and the world and culture and society just may not be set up to protect you. So... You know, just to kind of recap, you're setting up a private time to talk. You're being really straightforward with your language. You're offering very specific help. Tell them exactly what you can and can't do. Um, You're offering support and not giving up and reaching out regularly if they decide to stay in the relationship. You're making that support unconditional. If there's anything you can do to support this person, do it. Not on the contingency that they behave in a specific way, but just unconditional. Um... Put your concerns about rejection and discord aside. I know this seems like a private matter, but it's not. This person can use your help. Uh, Be prepared. Have all the resources in hand. Believe what they tell you. Trust that they're the experts. Validate their feelings. Counteract victim blaming. And of course, you know, this isn't an exhaustive list of ways to support someone dealing with a violent partner. I think it's a start. I hope it's helpful to you to some people I hope you know in some cases it'll encourage people to speak up I think also just looking at the broader definition of abuse is really important because sometimes we think abuse is just physical but of course abuse comes in many forms and the manipulation the emotional the psychological can take as intense and in some cases more intensive a toll on people's well-beings and if you're looking for intimate partner violence resources and hotlines there is the national domestic violence hotline in the states and their phone number is 1-800-799-SAFE 1-800-799-7233 and they have a tty number as well which is 1-800-787-3224 You can also go to their website, which is thehotline.org, thehotline.org, and you can chat online live 24-7 with someone to offer support. And I was reading through their site, and it's 24-7, 365, and they take calls from those who are dealing with intimate partner violence as well as people who are looking for supports for their friends and loved ones. But I think it's important to note that they'll also take your call If you have been abusive, if you have abused your partner and you're looking for supports to change this behavior, and so they offer supports on both sides, all with the goal of reducing intimate partner violence. And, of course, if you're in immediate danger, please call 911. Uh, In Canada, you can find more info at ShelterSafe. And internationally, there is the International Directory of Domestic Violence Agencies. And I found this other page called hotpeachpages.net. Hot peach, peach as in the fruit, hotpeachpages.net. And they offer an international directory of supports around the world in over, I believe it's over 110 languages. 
And Brandon and I were talking about this last night, and he asked the question, you know, how can how can men speak up? How can men offer support? And of course, all of the ways I just outlined are in no way gender specific. But there is the other piece of of dismantling misogyny and addressing behaviors and norms that reinforce and uphold patriarchal standards. And so this has to do with, you know, not laughing at sexist jokes and speaking up when you hear a rape joke or a joke related to abuse and um, just dismantling gender norms related to both masculinity and femininity that are binary and and toxic and force people into roles that that aren't healthy that limit our self-expression that stymie our emotional literacy and so upcoming I'd like to talk to someone about that Um, I I was thinking of Dr. Hernando Chavez who is a fellow marriage and family therapist, or sorry, fellow sex therapist and also a marriage and family therapist. I know he was close to Amy and is, you know, personally dealing with this right now. So now it's probably not going to be a good time. Uh, but I, I would like to have that discussion in the future about not only supporting, it's not just about supporting people who are in abusive relationships, but about dismantling the structures that uphold, reinforce, um, and facilitate the acts of perpetrators, the small stuff that normalizes it, and then the bigger stuff that you know is policy-based and doesn't offer the protections that folks like Amy deserve. And this this is preventable and really scary. And uh, you can probably tell I'm 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 shaken by it. And Amy and I weren't weren't super close at all. Uh, we as I said, we were supposed to meet on Tuesday, and that won't be happening. So of course, anything to do with mortality is, uh, I think, difficult to process. The reminder that we don't have all the time in the world and that we don't know when our time on this earth will come to an end. And then, of course, the the trauma of it being such a violent and preventable and inexcusable death. So uh, I'm sure some of you uh, may have known Amy as well because I know that there are folks in the in the community who who tune in, and I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that you think I might have some insights that can help you either personally or professionally. And so I encourage you to, you know, share this, uh, share the resources as well, the hotline.org and hotpeachpages.net. And yeah, to speak up and know that you don't have to be perfect. I mean, I don't, I don't have the answers. Even folks who, who, counsel people on domestic abuse don't have the answers there is no perfect formula there's no recipe there's no bible um, because every situation is different but I think that if we can let our voices be heard and elevate these voices so that folks know that we've got their backs and uh, they're not to blame uh, maybe we can see people supported more effectively than they are right now and and once again a reminder that I'm not talking about people not supporting Amy I know she had a network of support around her and no one is to blame except the perpetrator and the system that allows for these things to happen so I'm going to stop there feeling a little uh, tense and a little awkward today but hoping that perhaps some of these strategies will come in handy and that you'll share them with a friend or reach out to a friend who may be in need So thank you for listening. I hope you're doing well this weekend. I hope that if this is a difficult topic for you, that uh, you have the supports and love 
around you that you need. And if and if you are feeling alone or you are feeling shaken or you you need a little love, please reach out. Um, don't be afraid to reach out and say, I need help. I think that's something we struggle with. And I, I think I see that changing with younger folks. So as you know, I'm hopeful hopeful for the future and um, hopeful that you, you're feeling good and feeling safe and feeling loved and that you have all the support around you today and every day. I'll leave it at that. I'll be back next Friday with a new episode, uh, wherever you're at. I hope you have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Thank you.